0: I think that's where we'll kind of be at, so um, can't say we won't be somewhere else <clears throat> first or last, but, and, um, yeah, all right, and then <clears throat> we'll do a little review as we were not in this last week and picking up again tonight. I don't have enough for everybody, just the ones with their hands raised, just about the seven people that normally get them. And if you want some, I can make more copies, just take them in the back, and that way if somebody wants them, they're not up here. All right, um, by way of review, we are looking at the tabernacle, we are looking at the courtyard, we talked about the different things in the courtyard, the altar, the altar. The laver, and now we're getting into the actual tabernacle itself. There's a cutaway uh, of that as well. We were looking at the courtyard last week. We talked about the altar, uh, the bronze altar or brass, and the laver made of brass, made of the looking glasses. So probably, probably reflective, probably a mirror with water in it, very reflective. And it was something they would wash at. And we were talking about that last week. And uh, we talked about the picture that that bronze altar, uh, the blood sacrifice, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and how that even before the tabernacle system was uh, in place on earth, God already had the one in heaven and Moses actually was just building the pattern and patterning it after the one in heaven. And so we see the picture, of course, is of Christ, the Lamb of God and uh, Christ being the offering even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him. I say, oh, I'm sorry, I cut that verse off again. Uh, I apologize for that. But anyhow, the laver, we talked about it. We talked about how they washed at the laver. And so that's just a reviewing from a couple weeks ago and um and the foot as well, the washing that took place, um, and that goes in with psalm twenty four who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, who shall stand in his holy place, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation, so last week or the two weeks ago, I was talking about how that there is the invitation at the gate at the entrance, and then right after that, you have. The altar of sacrifice, the, the blood sacrifice, the salvation. You have the invitation, you have salvation. Then you have cleansing. He's, even after you're saved, there's always going to be things that need cleansed, uh, not from internal sin, but just outward things on uh, your feet, your hands. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And so you have the invitation, salvation, cleansing, and then service taking place on the inside of that, if it's not really a building, it's more of a tent, but it's the actual tabernacle itself, and so that's what we kind of left off with last week or two weeks ago, talking about that. So here we are tonight, and I think you probably remember this, but the entrance is made of three basically three colors, uh, and that is uh, blue, purple, and scarlet, and it says fine twine linen, and I think some people think that fine twine linen is white. But blue, purple, scarlet is the the main three colors there. And then when you get to the actual tabernacle door system, you have the curtain that that covers the front entrance, and then there's a separation into the most holy place, and uh, that also has the same coloring. And that has a picture that represents Jesus as well because blue, purple, and scarlet, when you mix scarlet and blue, you get purple. And that is a picture of heaven mixing with earth, And you have Jesus, you have the God-man. And so that purple is that predominant color that you see in that entrance. And of course, he said, I am the door, I am the way. In John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so that, I think, is clearly represented in those colors. Scarlet being on the earth, blue representing heaven, the sky. Mixing together, you have the purple which represents the God-man, Jesus Christ himself. And so that's what those colors are representing. I don't think there's any doubt in what that represents there. And of course, when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, the veil, that same curtain, ripped into from the top to the bottom. I am the way. Notice it does not say, I am a way. There is uh, new versions of the Bible, new Jesus is out there that are saying, I am a way. That's a great compromise and extreme Blasphemy! He's not a way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Uh, you, you can only go through the door. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. You can't go any other way. The thief comes some other way, but you can't go other way. You're Only through the door. So we talk about that: the bronze altar, the bronze laver, and and everything on the outside. The furniture is bronze or brass. It's it's the picture of the. The medal of judgment. Uh, it it it's it's more of a harsh uh, picture there, a harsh uh, symbolism. And of course, someone after church two weeks ago was talking about this bronze altar, and how much blood had to have been all around uh, the outside of the altar there. And, and no not no doubt they needed to wash their feet. Uh, I'm sure they did it as clean and, and as sophisticated as they could, and it was probably very efficient. But that it was all bronze. It's different though. Inside this tent of meeting, and uh, the tabernacle uh, on the inside, it was different. We're looking at that tonight. Um, the priest entered the tabernacle through the curtains at the entrance. The tabernacle was divided into two sections. This little dotted line in the back is represents that back room that we're not going to talk about tonight. It's called the most holy place, and uh, the holy place is what we're looking at tonight. And so, the tabernacle was made of linen. Uh, it was had a linen covering of blue purple scarlet just like the, the entrance the the, the the ceiling that you would have looked up to if you had been in there you would have seen that same blue purple scarlet and embroidered with cherubims it had, had on top of that another layer of goat's hair and probably white don't know for sure but probably white and then on top of that it had a layer of ram skins covering and it was dyed red and then Badger's skin covering on top of that. And then, of course, there were these boards or panels. And there was 100 total sockets. 96 silver sockets for all the boards. And then four sockets for under the pillars that held up the front veil area. Uh, uh, the front veil, veil area in between the two rooms. And so a total of 100 sockets. Now, I've read that these sockets made of silver were... <coughs> Uh, probably over a hundred pounds these sockets of silver, a hundred pounds of silver each socket in this book here, I have a neat page I just you 're not going to be able to see it very clearly from where you 're sitting, but i 'm just going to show it to you, and you can check it out on your own when you get a chance. But what they did is they took those different coverings and they lifted them one by one, and I thought that was pretty cool the way they did that and so you have you have the cutaway here and well, let me let me get to the right page. there it is. And so you have the covering, the outward, which would have been that badger skin. Um, some try to say it's porpoise skin or sea, sea lion skin or something like that. But remember where they are. They're in the wilderness. And so I'm thinking badgers are easier to get a hold of. And the King James says badgers. But, uh, you know, whatever. But anyhow, um, and I, I also don't know for sure if the roof was flat. A lot of the pictures you see show a flat top and, and, and there's no argument there. I have seen pictures where there would have been a higher center ridge pole, kind of like we have around here. But again, I don't know how much necessity that would have been, (coughs) although it's a possibility. However, what I want to point out is is these layers. So then underneath that badger skin or porpoise skin or whatever, uh, it's badger. Anyhow, underneath that you have this red goat skin, uh, excuse me, ram skin, dyed red. This is starting to look like a song we sing in Sunday school, isn't it? Because the next covering is that goat skin, and probably it was white, I don't know, but why not? And then after that was that special curtain with the blue, purple, scarlet fine twine linen and the cherubims embroidered in. And so uh, that would have been what it would look like. So I have this book you can take a close look at. It's got some neat pictures in it, but they did a really good job of just uh, cutting away and opening up those layers for us. And 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 if you're wondering uh, about this, let me just stop right here and say, isn't it interesting how God does things? Yeah. Because God made the ugliest on the outside for everybody to see, and that's just the way my God is. My God is not attractive to the world. If you were Pharaoh, of course, by this time Pharaoh's going. He's underneath the Red Sea. But if you were Pharaoh or one of the Egyptians, and you happen to come over the top of the ridge and look down, that's your God? You got this curtain fence and badger skins, and that doesn't look very impressive. What's neat about it is is that the outward is just kind of blah. It's not exactly super extravagant or impressive on the outside. Now, why is that? Well, I want to just start there, I guess, and talk about that for a little bit. Um, God does it that way on purpose. Um, Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. I said we'd be in Exodus, and eventually we'll get there. But Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Philippians chapter 2. We'll back up to verse number... um, But from the outside looking in from a human viewpoint, he does not look that impressive. But he is. From the outside, he's drab and dull. He's just an ordinary. Um, It says here um, in verse number 7 of Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation. He was born in a manger. That's not by accident. Go with me also to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 First Corinthians chapter number 1 verse 18 Now by the way I'm not suggesting that this was sloppy looking it was very fit and very tight and very put together and and very organized but from the outside they did not show off gold they did not have any gold on the outside it was just brass on the outside Nothing outward that would be impressive to humankind because that's not what it's about. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. And then verse 27 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, of whom is God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Uh, I don't even know if the guy sang this song this morning. Uh, my brain's a little fried. But um, if you knew him like I knew him. That, that's the message of the, of the Christian. I know you don't get him because he's different than what you think he is. I know he's not impressive. I remember years ago, there were some girls riding a school bus going down the highway, and as they were coming around this horizon here, some of the girls pointed over and said, that's where our church is. And at the time, it was just this little, <laughs> you know what it was, just little uh, modular building. And one of the teachers said, well, that doesn't look like a church. But it was, and it it was a beautiful place enough for some of you to get saved in that little church. And the the world wants something cathedral-like, something grand to look. And I'm not saying that our yard shouldn't look good and that we shouldn't take care of it. We should, and they did even back then. But God is showing that it's not the outward that's so important. And remember, who is the tabernacle supposed to be a picture of? So Isaiah chapter number 52 and Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 14. Isaiah 52, it says in verse 14, As many were astonished at thee, his visions was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. It was talking about when Christ was crucified. But then in Isaiah 53, it says this, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Now, nobody in Hollywood reads that verse before they cast the character for Jesus. They just never do. It's always someone taller than everybody else and it certainly isn't someone ugly and amazingly a perfectly good haircut or perm or whatever it might be. But the Bible says there was no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the picture that That God gives to the world. Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He's not impressive on the outside, and God doesn't care. He knows what it's like on the inside. God is not so worried about whether or not man is impressed or not. That's not what God worries about. That's what man worries about, but not necessarily what God's worrying about. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think this is an excuse for you not to make your bed and clean your room, and I don't think this is an excuse for us to be slobs and sloppy. But you see the picture here now, obviously we we also sing in Sunday school about those layers the the ram skin covering dyed red. I think that I think we know what the red stands for and and I do believe that that red is covering why because underneath that badger skin, there is the red that covers us, and that 's the only reason why we have the ability to be there in the first place is because the covering of the blood of Christ. Now, I mentioned those sockets of silver a little bit ago. The Bible says that the actual tabernacle itself had 100 sockets. If 100 sockets, if those sockets weighed 100 plus pounds. I've read they I read anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds. So let's just say 100 pounds. If each socket of silver weighed 100 pounds times 100 sockets. I'm not I I didn't go to the school of mines, but I think that's 10,000 pounds which means that's five tons of silver. How much money is five tons of silver? I think a 100 pounds could be at least 8,000 bucks. I don't know. Five tons of silver just as the base, just as the sockets, like I was talking about those flagpoles have cheap sockets in them. Those heavy sockets of silver, each one. And and that, just the value, and where did that come from? The offerings of the people. They brought it. In fact, it's a blessing to read how the, Moses said, you've brought so much, you got to stop. We we don't need any more. And, and from all that, they had the brass for the outside, the bronze, and then they had the silver for the sockets. And what's interesting, silver is a metal that represents redemption. Peter says, you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood. Silver was redemption money. It was redemption uh, material. And the whole system of the tabernacle rests on redemption. My hope is built on nothing less. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed. And so, that's not by chance, that it's resting on sockets of silver, the entire thing. Uh, that's also very special and something worth noting. And then, of course, those different layers that, that are covered one by one. And again, if you or I were building it, we'd put the gold on the outside. Uh, we'd we'd want to show off a little bit. But that's not the way God had them to do it, and so they didn't do it that way. Uh, let's keep going a little bit, and, and uh, I'll try to be a little more connected in my teaching here. So they had bars, pillars, hooks, curtains at the entrance, 30 cubits long, 10 cubits wide, 10 cubits high. Um, You find that Exodus 25, Exodus 26. Uh, We talked about some of those dimensions before, and just the cutaway, as I showed from that book, uh, the, the... the things that, you, that were beautiful on the inside. The, the light we're going to talk about in a minute, the golden candlestick, uh, the golden showbread table, and the golden altar of incense. We're going to show that in just a little bit. It was absolutely magnificent and be- beautiful on the inside there in the holy place. And so the priests would be in there, <coughs> the sons of Aaron, and they're preparing and doing what they needed to do, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the table of showbread there, and we'll talk about that. Now, the holy place. Talk about the holy place and how that uh, that place was special. It was beautiful, as I said. Um, it was not something that even all the Levites could go into, but only the high priests, only the priests were allowed to go in there, only the sons of Aaron. Not everyone could go into that place. It was special. It was something that not everyone even got to see. And the first thing we see is, well, Before I get ahead of myself, every day the priest entered into the holy place to serve the Lord. And inside there were the table of of bread, the seven-branched golden lampstand, the altar of incense in front of the veil that separated the holy place from that smaller area called the most holy place. And only the high priest would go in there once a year as the day of atonement. The holy place was 10 cubits wide by 20 cubits long uh, with that extra 10 cubits for the back. and uh, and inside there would have been what we call the golden lampstand or the candlestick. The lampstand provided light, and it was the only light in the room. Otherwise, it would have been dark. The priests trimmed the wicks, and to keep them burning brightly, uh, the lampstand or candlestick, as it's called, was made from a single piece of gold. It was not pieced together. It probably weighed, um, maybe it was made of a talent if if there's a talent of silver or a talent of gold, it's about, again, 100, 125 pounds of gold. And uh, it could have stood five foot tall. We're not sure exactly how tall it was. Nobody knows for sure. But it was made of, it was beaten. It was not molded. It was beaten. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever seen beaten gold, but something special that somewhat connects to this is that years ago, Wilma and I went to Denver on a trip and we stopped at the Denver Museum and they had... Uh, king tut's artifacts on display they had um, the 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 mask you know you've seen that mask that's gold and it's got blue in it but it's beaten and and they they pointed out how that that was beaten and what that means is it's hammered and beaten and flattened into place and and that's how they and i don't even understand that craft but all i know is that's real close to the same time period in fact that's where they'd have learned how to beat the gold would have been while they were slaves in Egypt. <clears throat> and this golden candlestick must have been something. That golden candlestick, as I said, was probably 100 pounds at least of gold by itself. It it had uh, seven branches, and it was all one unit. It was it, They didn't take it apart. It, it didn't even be put back. It was just one. I don't know how they did it. But that one solid unit had these seven, sticks or seven branches and they had these little cups or knobs, as it's called in the bible and there would be oil that would be filled in there and then i don't know if they had a wick or how they did it but they would light the, those lamps or or those individual branches and there would be seven lights that would l- illuminate that whole area and so uh is is e- exodus chapter 25 we'll just go there exodus chapter 25 and look at some verses and and keep going the only problem with teaching on the tabernacle is there's so much in the Bible. You can't possibly read everything and, and, and keep going at the same time. So Exodus chapter 25 is where I'm just going to skim over some of these things. But Exodus 25 and verse 37, I'll just read this and we'll go to chapter 27. Exodus 25, 37, thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof and they shall light the lamps thereof that they may give light over against it. And so that was the light for the entire room. And because the panels had wood panels, but then on the inside, it was gold. It was just gold paneling. So for on the inside, it was absolutely reflective. And so when the light shone, the gold would reflect back and forth, and, it w- and everything would be kind of mirrored back and forth inside there. Notice seven's the number of perfection, So it was the perfect light. And notice in verse 37, uh The seven lamps, and they shall light the lamps thereof, and they may give light over against it. Sorry, go to chapter 27, verse 20. That's where I meant to go. Chapter 27, verse 20. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring their pure oil, olive, beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. (coughs) The lamp itself was beaten. The oil that was used to light the lamp was beaten. I think there's a picture there. But it's pure. It's a pure light. It's a perfect light, number seven. It's a perpetual light because it says at the end of verse 20 to burn always. And it was a purposeful light back there in chapter 25, verse 37 so that it would illuminate the room, so that it would give light over against it. Now there's typology, obviously, in the lamp. Uh, I think we can see Jesus in this, obviously, He is pure. He is pure gold. Jesus Christ is. He's pure. He is the true light. John chapter 1 verse 9 says, I am the true light. He is the light of the world. In him is no darkness at all, the Bible says. John chapter 8 verse 12, 1 John 1. He is the light of men. The Bible says in John chapter 1, he is the light of men. And Matthew 3, 17, he is perfect. Hebrews 7 26, he is pure. Hebrews 13 8, he is perpetual. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And John 3 21, he is purposeful. We know that. And obviously. So he is forever. Now, anything you say about Jesus, you can say about you can say about the Bible. What everything I just said about Jesus, I can say about the Bible. Because the Bible says thy word is a lamp to my feet. In the light to my path. If you can say about Jesus, you can say it about the word of God. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, Psalm 119, 105. The commandment, verse Proverbs chapter six, verse twenty three, thy commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And just like Jesus, Psalm nineteen seven, we sing it all the time, all the time. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Pure, Psalm twenty six. Excuse me, Psalm twelve, verse six. He is pure. The words of the Lord are pure words. Psalm twenty or Psalm chapter twelve, verse seven. He is perpetual. The light is perpetual. And the Bible says in Psalm twelve, verse seven, that thou shalt preserve them for from this generation forever. Matthew twenty four, thirty five. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And obviously God's word is purposeful. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 1 John 1, 7, (coughs) etc. So we see that the lamp pictures Jesus and the Word. But the lamp also pictures the Holy Spirit of God. The seven lamps. You know the Bible says in Revelation 4, verse 5, that there are seven spirits of God. The The sevenfold spirit of God is split into seven spirits of God. He's one spirit, but he's split into seven ways. Just like there's one lamp stand, but it's split into seven. And the oil typifies the Holy Spirit as well. The oil is always a picture of the Holy Spirit anointed with oil. Uh, And what's neat about this comparison is this. The oil produces the light, but you never see the oil. And that's what the Bible says in John 16, 13. He'll not speak of himself, but he'll show you. The Holy Spirit of God never reveals himself, never shows himself. You don't walk into the tabernacle and go, wow, that's amazing oil. You know the oil is producing the light, but you don't see the oil. You just see the light. And the light causes you to see the candlestick and everything else. And it was not if it wasn't for the oil, you wouldn't have any light. So there's a lot of comparison and picture there in some religions the holy spirit is overemphasized in the wrong way because john chapter 16 i'll just quote it to you so you understand what i mean john chapter 16 and verse 13 the holy spirit of god does not reveal himself or does not magnify himself john 6 16 and verse 13 it says how be it when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Have you ever seen one of those Pentecostal, supposedly Holy Spirit meetings? I saw a video of one not too long ago. Guys got up and ran around and were doing laps around the auditorium, screaming and hollering. And one guy wanted to show off a little bit, so he was doing somersaults across the front and everything. And, and then that wasn't enough, so then he ran up behind the pulpit and jumped into the baptistry. And listen, the Holy Spirit didn't do that. There might have been a spirit doing doing that, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not showing off Himself. All right, the Holy Spirit is just there to show off Christ and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's there to illumine the the Word. It also not only pictures the Holy Spirit, the lampstand pictures the believer. Because Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And so you're to be a light. Yeah, but you said the lampstand was beaten. I don't like that. Yeah. Sometimes the best way to shine is to be beaten. I mean, the apostle Paul shone greatly when he was beaten. So did others. We are the light of the world. Not to be hid under a bushel. According to Philippians 2, verse 14 through 16, we are to shine as lights in the world by holding the word of life to this world. In Ephesians 5 our light is in the Lord. And we are to reflect his light in this world by being continually filled with the spirit as we ought to be. Filled with the oil, if you will, letting our light shine. And then it also is an illustration not just of individual believers, but of believers together as the church. In fact, Revelation chapter 1 says that the church, the seven churches, were represented by seven golden candlesticks, all right? So lots of pictures just in that. And so when you when you read all that about let your light shine and being a, a candlestick and you get to Revelation about the golden candlestick, it helps for you to know what the Bible said way back in the beginning concerning the tabernacle. Daniel, can you turn on that TV that helps me to see what I'm looking at? And it had a central shaft, six branches, um, but it was one piece. Each branch had knobs or knops, flowers, and almond-shaped bowl to hold the olive oil. But the size, we don't know. (coughs) You can read about it in Exodus 25, Exodus 27, uh, the places that we were at earlier. Maybe it looked like that. I don't know. I can tell you this. It had seven lamps, seven branches. It was not a menorah. A menorah has nine, and there's nothing in the Bible about a nine-branched lampstand. Just saying, okay? This this is not a menorah. All right? Don't get it mixed up. All right. Table of showbread, or the bread of presents. This is also gold. Notice, on the outside it was brass furniture, but on the inside it's gold furniture. It might have in this case built with built out of wood acacia wood, but then overlaid with gold and it had a crown molding around it uh and it was it was carried by staves and so they had little rings on the corners, just like the all the furniture pieces did and they had these rings, and they would slide staves in there and then they could carry it, maybe two guys, one on each end. Could carry it maybe over the shoulder, or whatever, and they would carry the, the the furniture, or or then haul it in wagons, and the different Levites were given the jobs to do that. And so it was made of shatim wood, acacia wood sometimes was used as well. We'll talk about that, uh, <clears throat> but shatim wood overlaid with gold. It had a crown molding around it. Um, it, it was a certain height. We'll talk about that. <coughs> it had those rings that would slide the 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 poles in <coughs> on the table of showbread the priest placed 12 loaves of bread made from fine flour representing obviously the 12 tribes of israel <coughs> the loaves were a continual reminder of the everlasting promise between god and the children of israel and a memorial of god's provision of food <coughs> and it is not just a coincidence that of course you have the story of the manna and how that God provided daily bread for the people during this very time that they were traveling with the tabernacle. And then Jesus took that very story from the Old Testament in these days and said, and we sang it this morning in Sunday school, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In John chapter 8, he fed over 5,000 people, but then by the end of the chapter, he made them so upset with him because he said, I am the bread of life. You need to eat me. The Catholics take it into a whole different realm. Uh, Jesus was not saying that we need to literally cannibalize, but that we need to spiritually understand that he is truly the bread of life. And because it was a hard saying, the 5,000 plus people that he fed all walked away to the point at the end of John chapter number 6, he says, will you also go away? And for once in Peter's life, he said something really good. Peter once in a while came out with something good. He said, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Who else would we go? That's a great answer uh <clears throat> but even Jesus lost his mega church he never it wasn't never a church. it was just a crowd of people looking for a free lunch. but <clears throat> there's a picture there in The bread, Jesus, John chapter 6, is the bread chapter, the bread of life. The bread was eaten by Aaron and his sons and replaced every week on the Sabbath. The show bread was, the the table was made of acacia wood or shatim wood, and it was overlaid with gold. and had a crown or a a, a golden crown or or molding or frame of gold around it. Um, The carrying poles or the staves were put through the rings on the corners of the table. Not only though was there 12, I don't know what they'd have been like, pancake looking. You know, I see a lot of pictures where they're just, I, I guarantee you, they weren't like Miss Wilma's loaves. Um, they didn't quite look like that. They were probably uh, flat and, um, and, and, and maybe unleavened. I don't know. But, <clears throat> but what I do know this is the Bible says that there was frankincense put on the bread. Frankincense. Where have you heard that one before? Why did those wise men decide to bring frankincense to Jesus? Frankincense <coughs> was a special incense that was to be offered only to God. And yet they were putting it, giving it to the Lord Jesus. And, of course, frankincense was used and applied and added to the bread when it was given. And the Bible tells us that. I think you can find that in uh, 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 Leviticus uh, chapter number, I think it's 24 uh, and uh, also Exodus twenty five, as well, um, the frankincense uh, has a special fragrance, and it it referred as I said already, and I'll show you in a little bit more. It, it offered it was offered especially to God Himself. Now obviously the typology here is about Christ being the bread of life, and you say, but those twelve loaves represented the Israelites. Yes, it did. But you know what? You know who Israel really was. Israel was Jesus and he's represented in this way as the bread representing all 12 he is Christ. he is israel the, the the original israel was jesus himself and the communion we have with god and i don't use that word lightly communion we still we still worship god even today and remember him with bread even today so the showbread had meaning and significance and, and um and pointed to christ as well and And uh, and to uh, him being the bread of life. Now I'm going to go on from here. There there were gold dishes, there were pans, pitchers, bowls, for the frankincense and whatever else they needed to use it for. It, of course, was a small table. It was only 36 inches by 18 inches by 27 inches. Uh, It wasn't very tall. It wasn't very big. It was just big enough for what it needed to be there for. Um, you can find in Exodus 25 this passage at Hebrews 9, verse 2. <clears throat> There's another uh, computerized rendition of it. This, what I like about this picture is it shows the reflective <coughs> of what it would have been like with the golden wall behind it. And you can see the lamp from the other side of the room in it, which is kind of neat. By the way, this is not an actual photograph <clears throat> because Moses did not have a camera. Now we have the altar of incense. It's a much smaller altar than the bronze altar on the outside. Very much smaller, much different. And as it says behind me, the high priest burned incense on the altar of incense every morning and evening. The four corners of the altar each had a horn and a crown molding or a ridge. Just like that big bronze altar that had the blood sacrifices going on out there. This altar was much smaller, like a square, tall, tall square, kind of like this pulpit, only without the little extra wing here, and just tall and square, and not a slant, but just, and just horns on it, <clears throat> and it was for incense. It was not to to sacrifice animals on. <clears throat> also, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, these horns, these four corners, were sprinkled with the blood from the burnt-off offering sacrifices out there on the bronze altar. And so they would take the blood and then they would apply that blood to these horns on this uh, Day of Atonement on this altar of incense. This altar of incense represented something. And the Lord required that a special incense be burned constantly on the altar of incense. And I told you already, it was a frank incense. It was a special sweet incense, a mixture of spices to be used only for the tabernacle. God specifically required this recipe. No other was to be burned On the altar. You can read that again in Exodus. I can I can give you the passage. In fact, I think we should just go ahead, if I can find it, go ahead and turn there. Exodus chapter number thirty, I believe, is the chapter. Apologize if I get this wrong. Exodus chapter number thirty and verse number thirty-four. And the Lord said unto Moses, take unto thee sweet spices (coughs) Stockday and Annika and Galbanum these sweet spices with pure frank incense of each shall there be a like weight and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary tempered together pure and holy and thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it for before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, for it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereof shall even be cut off from his people. Don't anybody else ever try to wear this particular perfume. This is to worship God and God alone. I do think that this ties in with what the wise men did. They offered frank incense to a baby, and yet it wasn't improper to do so because it was Jesus Christ himself. Now, what does this little altar mean? It's made of gold, not of brass. It's not talking about judgment. It's talking about, it's it's a picture of heaven. We're inside, if you could say, we're inside heaven. This, this whole thing's a pattern of the one in heaven. And so this is a picture of what's going on in heaven. What is this little altar of incense? It's representing prayer. It's representing the prayers of the saints. Look, look with me real quick in Psalm chapter 141. Psalm 141. And then we'll go all the way to Revelation. Psalm 141 and verse number two. Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice morning and evening they would offer that incense on that altar in places throughout the Bible you can hear and, and see where God was God smelled it a sweet smelling sacrifice and sometimes it was talking about the animal sacrifice or the meat offering but it was also the incense offering as well and it represented the prayers of the people the Bible talks about how that Christ in Hebrews 7, verse 25, and Romans chapter number 8, it says, Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. So as our high priest, he makes intercession on our behalf as well. But Revelation chapter number 5 and chapter number 8. Revelation chapter 5. And see, when you're reading the book of Revelation, it helps when you understand the tabernacle because it helps you to understand what this is referred to. <coughs> Again, Moses built the tabernacle patterning it off of the real one in heaven. And so when you're reading Revelation, you're reading about the real tabernacle or temple system in heaven. In Revelation chapter number 5 and verse 8 it says, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. By the way, your prayers don't go wasted. Maybe they haven't been heard yet, or maybe they haven't been offered as a sweet-smelling sacrifice yet, but God has your prayers. And then Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 3 and 4, again, verse 3, and another angel came and stood at the altar, this would be the altar of incense, Having this is in heaven now, this is not on earth, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So what you're seeing when you see the tabernacle is you're seeing a picture of what heaven looks like. The throne room would have been the most holy place that we haven't explored yet. And in front of, that throne would have been this altar of incense which would represent the prayers of the saints. So again it helps us to see this and understand the pictures here that we wouldn't otherwise see. Now let's go back to Leviticus chapter 10 there's a story there shortly after God started this whole system and instituted this with Moses and Aaron there's something that happened Leviticus chapter number 10 And I'm just going to read a few verses. Leviticus chapter number 10, starting in verse 1. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me and before all the people i will be glorified and aaron held his peace i don't know exactly what the strange fire was but i know this it was wrong it's not what god wanted it's not what god expected it's not what god told them to do and whatever they did they did it wrong it wasn't just just some little slip I don't believe that. I believe that he gave them a command and they failed to do it. Whatever it was they did. Maybe they didn't wash up at the laver. Maybe maybe they they skipped over uh, a part in what they were supposed to do first. Let's keep reading. And Moses called Mishael and Elizaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them in their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron and unto Eliezer and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest you die. And lest wrath come upon you, upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. Apparently they were fried. And they shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, and they did according to the word of Moses. So not only did God kill these two boys, but Moses said, No mourning. Uh-uh. No wailing? No uncovering your head. Uh-uh. You're still you, you have a responsibility, you have a position. And God expects you to fulfill it, and what he did, he did because they were wrong. Carry them out, bury them. Wow, pretty hardcore, that's what it says. I don't know if this has anything to do with it or not, but the very next thing says this, verse 8, and the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may put difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean, and that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord hath spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Why is that in there? Why is verse 8 to verse 11 in there? I mean, all of a sudden, you're reading about the tabernacle and these two guys get fried and they're talking about, the. in verse verse 12, it picks up talking about the priest system and the tabernacle, but they said, God says to Moses, don't you dare drink when you come in here. And since every day of our lives were to be priests and every day of our lives were to be praying. Reminds me years ago of the missionary from Peru that was telling us about a drunk that would come to their church service and sit outside and lean against the window and just sleep off his drunk. And one day, after many, many Sundays of doing that, one day he showed up sober, sitting in the back row. And they said, look, it's our drunk, but he's not drunk. And nobody said anything, but they're all excited. And before the service was even over with, he got up and walked forward and said, I want to get saved. Man, were they excited. And of course, they showed him how the Bible, how to be saved and how to trust Christ, how to just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got saved. And then later on, years later, became a missionary from Peru to Spain. And they asked him, "What, what, what happened? He said, well, for years... I would listen to this outside the window while I was trying to sleep off my drunk. And he said, I knew I had to show up sober. Something in him said, you can't show up drunk. You got to show up sober so you can understand this. And I think, out of respect for who it is that's trying to talk to you. And God honored that. I don't know for sure what Nadab and Abiru did. Right in the middle of that story, God says, by the way, don't do this drunk. Just worth mentioning, don't you think? Seems to fit. All right, let me finish up with a few other things here. It was square, two cubits high, but a cubit by a cubit, foot and a half square. And you can read about it in these other places. Now I like to go to Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one, because there's a story in the Bible that ties in with this altar of incense. Of course, later on when they finally came to Jerusalem came to Israel of the land, the promised land, they no longer had to travel with a tabernacle which was just a a collapsible tent. Eventually, God allowed David to put together material so that Solomon could build a temple. And the temple was the same thing as the tabernacle, only permanent, a permanent building and larger, bigger in scale. And so, way back, way on down from the tabernacle in, in Moses' day, thousands of years ahead into the future, or at least a thousand, you have this temple system happening, same system, holy place, candlestick, showbread, and altar of incense. And this time, there is a great, great, great grandson of Aaron in there. His name's Zacharias. And Luke chapter 1, verse 5, here's how it goes. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So both Aaron and Elizabeth were Levites of the lineage of Aaron. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord and blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. and It came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. That was his job. He was to burn incense at the altar of incense, right next to that veil that 33 years later would rip in two and the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense and they there appeared unto him an angel of the lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense and if there's ever been a verse that was written kind of in a in an underemphasized way it's verse 12 and when zechariah saw him he was troubled troubled and fear fell upon him I'm not saying this is what happened, but I think in my mind it went something like this. Yeah! And I guarantee you that every priest of Aaron's lineage remembered the story of Nadab and Abihu, and nobody else that Zacharias ever knew personally did anything other than burn the incense. No, there was nobody standing or talking to him. There was no voices. Just burn the incense. Ah! You know, I mean, what do you think? He's he fear, man. He was yeah. He was troubled. I should say so. And fear fell upon him. Verse thirteen. But the angel said unto him, "Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name." John see while he's burning the incense for all the people praying outside he's got his own prayer request I sure would like to have a son I sure would like to have at least one child my wife doesn't have any children and he's standing there and all of a sudden an angel standing there with him and you're going to call his name John now, that's not what they normally would call because there's nobody in the family named John. You're supposed to call him Zacharias II or something like that or Aaron or something like that. And thou shalt have joy and gladness and many shall rejoice at his birth for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And you know, when Mary came to visit six months later, John leaped in Elizabeth's womb as soon as Mary walked in the door because Jesus was in her womb. John was special. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zachariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Well, you've heard that before. Haven't you ever heard of Abraham and Sarah? And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words which shall be fulfilled in their season the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And When he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them, and he remained speechless. And if you keep reading, when John the Baptist was finally born, they said, well, who is, what's his name? Elizabeth says, his name's going to be John. John? Who heard of John? And they ask, you're the dad. What's his name? His name's going to be John. As soon as he wrote it down, he could start speaking. And he started prophesying. And that whole event took place right there at the altar of incense. And oh, by the way, John the Baptist was a Levite. John the Baptist was not just a Levite. He was a Levite priest. He was the son of, of an Aaronic priest, a descendant of Aaron. And perfectly kosher, forgive me for using that word, but it was perfectly kosher for John the Baptist to say, behold the Lamb of God, which take away because if anybody knew the Lamb of God and which one was precious and which one was perfect and kosher, it would have been a priest. And that was John the Baptist's story that we read about in he was sent to prepare a people, not just to prepare the way of the Lord, but to prepare a people, as, we, as I showed there on, on that screen. And those people were the apostles that were first disciples of John and then later disciples of Jesus, the first church. And that's why I, th- I think Baptist is a good tag to use. I'm not saying that every Baptist church is more right than some other churches because Baptists, a lot of them are goofballs too. But biblically speaking, there's nothing wrong with the name Baptist, and we ought not be ashamed of it. A man sent from God whose name was John. And so we see that, and we see all this in the picture and in the and in the background of the altar of incense that uh, represents the prayers. And it, it stands right before the veil into the holy of holies, the most holy place. And um, that's where we'll stop tonight and pick it up again next week so let's close in prayer Lord we thank you for our time together tonight we thank you for the scriptures and how they really do tie together how that as we know things and understand things better from the Old Testament it helps us to visualize and realize what this is where this is and how special this is or who's involved and, and the background behind it we thank you for those details help us to uh, pay even better attention as we read our Bibles next week and the week after. Thank you for the opportunity to study together and to look at this next section and that makes up what is called the tabernacle. Lord, we thank you that redemption is what it all stands on, that it is all founded on the redemption. Of course, that redemption is not just silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. And now that everything, even the prayers, had to have the blood sprinkled on the four corners of the altar in order for those prayers to be heard and help us to realize that everything starts with that bronze altar and the blood sacrifice and the blood, of course, representing your blood that was shed on the cross. I pray if there's someone in our midst right now that does not know you as Savior, that they would understand their need to be saved. They understand their need to have Jesus Christ be their Savior and be their sacrifice for sin. Those listening this morning that they would be thinking about that if they're not saved as well. Lord, we thank you for the ability to to meet, to understand, and to study. Help us to learn more and more as we go, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.